you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your coordination and bounds. to stimulate around the eyes. This is the Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Hi everyone, Kate Spees here, General Manager of Well and Good. Today, you are going to hear part three of three of our Trends Deep Dive episodes. So we are in conversation about health today. The health industry has been wildly accelerated by the pandemic, and we're seeing some really positive changes. Our three experts on today's episode will talk to us about the shifts that they expect to see next year and how those shifts and movements are going to impact your health and your well-being. Now let's jump in. I want to start by having a bit of a look in the rearview mirror. For the first time ever last year, we divided out our trends and really looked at them from a vertical perspective because we felt that the whole health and wellness industry had been disrupted in such a massive way that we really needed to do these vertical-based state of the unions. We did one dedicated to the health industry because there has been so much change I think it's fair to say that globally people are more aware than ever of their health, their mental health, their physical health, their emotional well-being. And I wanted to check in with all of you on what is one really positive trend you have seen this year that has had a significant impact on the lives of Americans. Abby, why don't we start with you? Yeah. So thinking about innovation and thinking about advancements that we've made in the health sphere in the past year, it's kind of impossible not to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine, which thinking back on when we were working on the trends report last year, we barely mentioned the vaccine because when we were reporting in November and December, it still wasn't a reality yet. It was still in development. So it's something that we didn't fully capture in the report, but I think has made such an impact on the state of health in this country in the past year for a number of reasons. So one just being 
the speed at which this was developed and tested and rolled out, I think is so amazing and really showed what can happen when the scientific community galvanizes around something. So that I just personally find amazing and impressive. And then I think something else that happened is that watching the rollout of the vaccine to people happen in the United States, I think safe to say it's been kind of an inelegant process. And even as impressive as it was and as important as it was for everyone to gain this protection against COVID-19, it also made people in the U.S. a lot more aware of kind of the state of public health in this country, too. And I think made people really aware that in the U.S. we're lacking this public health infrastructure that's necessary to protect all people's health going forward. So that, I think, was really eye-opening to a lot of people. And then the third aspect is I think people are thinking about the ways that their individual health and their individual choices affect their communities and the people around them in a new way that's really important. To just like share an anecdote, so I got my booster yesterday and the pharmacist, the guy that did it was this lovely older gentleman and I could tell he was having the same kind of soft-spoken conversation with each person when it was their turn, but I didn't know what it was. And when it was my turn, as he's, you know, putting the needle in my arm, he says, it's so good that you're getting this booster and it's good for you, but also for your loved ones so they can feel safe too. I know, right? I'm seeing your face, Kate. It is like single tear. But I think this idea of making choices that positively impact people that aren't in the position to make the same choices you are has come to the forefront in a way that I didn't anticipate and I think has been really important and will change the way that people think about healthcare and public health moving forward from here. Yeah, it's so incredible. I actually feel genuinely teary because I do think it's so amazing and go science and the fact that we are so privileged to have access to our third shot in the US is something I certainly don't take for granted. And I want to go to your pharmacist. I'm getting my booster this week as well. And I'm like, I want that guy. I want my pep talk. Sam or Patia, anyone want to jump in next? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've definitely noticed or that I think is a very positive trend is also this idea of like individual accountability for one's mental health. There's been much more talk, I feel like, of what mental health is and addressing it and the idea of therapy and group therapy and not just talk therapy either, but just therapy in general, art therapy, those kinds of things. I've just seen a lot as far as, you know, people that weren't really into therapy in the beginning getting more into it now, or just even having conversations, especially in communities where therapy is not really a thing. I think that's just a lot more destigmatization of therapy and a lot more outreach also. So there's a lot more apps and founders of color or other marginalized communities creating community-specific therapies and therapy programs. So that's really exciting to see more people openly talking about their mental health because I think that we've all kind of been through it. Very true. And Sam, you wrote about that trend at the end of last year. Has it developed in the way that you expected over the course of the last 12 months? I think so. I think it's been really 
fascinating and interesting to see not only, again, these kind of apps or technologies creating communities, but also uniting communities and their talk and quest to address their mental health. But also it's really positive in terms of getting founders and people who are creating these items their due. I think we've seen kind of more and more talk and articles spotlighting people who are creating these technologies or these communities at large. And I think that even helps even more when you see someone from your community doing great things for their community and also for yours and talking more openly about things like therapy. It's just really exciting and good. And I definitely see that kind of continuing throughout not only the pandemic, but hopefully afterward. Absolutely. And on this podcast and also in coverage on the site, we've talked to so many incredible black and brown founders who are creating safe spaces on the internet and through telehealth and teletherapy for black and brown communities to focus and center their healing and intergenerational trauma and and things like that, which I think has been such an incredible development related to this, to this trend. And hopefully we'll continue to see a lot of VC money moving into that space because traditionally female founders and particularly black and brown and other founders of color just do not receive equity or VC money. So hopefully that will be the next wave of this trend. Patia, anything that strikes you as incredibly positive and important in terms of developments in this space over the last year, being the expert you are as our lead health correspondent? Well, no pressure. Yeah. I mean, I think Sam and I were on the same wavelength. I think the thing that I am most encouraged by over the last year is the continued like destigmatization of mental health, particularly in black and brown communities. And the only thing that I would add that Sam didn't like touch on is that in addition to the communities and the technology that individuals can tap into, over the last year, we've seen high profile athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles come forward and really talk about mental health as an extension of physical well-being, as an extension of being able to show up in a major way and participate in the world. And anecdotally, you know, this year, my father, who is a 73-year-old man from the Caribbean, you know, checked in with me and started talking to me about therapy. And so I do think that these high-profile athletes sort of give people permission intergenerationally to talk about mental health and think about mental health in different ways. Absolutely. I'm going to get teary again, Dad. (laughs) Go, Dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love to hear that. So staying with the theme of telemedicine and how it's helping to advance certain areas of the medical industry, one such area is the development we are seeing in access to medicine abortions for some Americans. And Patia, I would love for you to talk to me about how this is going to develop over the next 12 months. So for 2021 trends, Sam wrote about virtual health and telehealth and talked about how HIPAA regulations open the door for providers to connect with their patients virtually on like all sorts of platforms. Um, And so we're seeing the same thing sort of in medication abortion, but medication abortion is typically conducted by using two pills, and those are mifepristone and misoprostol. 
But the FDA kind of has these specific regulations called REMS around mifepristone that require you see a provider in person and that your provider dispense the medication directly, which means that you cannot call your doctor and ask them to like fill your prescription at the pharmacy. REMS are not like particularly unusual. Lots of different medications have them. But everybody that I spoke to when I was like reporting out this trend indicated that this is politically motivated and it's meant to minimize access to medication abortion. But during the pandemic, the FDA loosened these restrictions, which allowed for doctors or physicians to prescribe mifepristone without seeing you in person. And that kind of opened up the doorway for medication abortion startups, telehealth startups, to provide patients with medication abortions. Which is so important given some of the honestly terrifying court cases that are coming up. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the court cases that have happened recently or rulings that we expect might be coming down the pipe that's going to make access to abortion harder for people living in certain states? Yeah, so the Supreme Court is currently hearing a case right now that could effectively like undermine Roe v. Wade and make abortion access extremely challenging. But one of the things that came forward while I was reporting out this trend is that the positive is a strong word, but the positive side effect is that these high profile cases have really helped push medication abortion and um, abortion access to the forefront. And so people are more motivated than ever to seek out alternatives, to understand how they can access abortion, to understand what's currently available. And so that's the unintended positive side effect from some of the really scary legislation that's been going on. Yeah, sometimes I guess innovation can be born from tricky circumstances and scary circumstances. And so when we think about who is leading the charge in terms of startups and scale-ups that are pushing to offer medicine abortion to more Americans? Yeah, so a lot of these organizations sort of launched in 2020, but there's Abortion on Demand, Carefem, Choice, Just the Pill, Hey Jane, as well as like Planned Parenthood and Aid Access. And across the board, the folks that I spoke to from Abortion on Demand, Planned Parenthood, and Choice all kind of said that like for 2022, the goal is to show up and launch in more states, especially in states where abortion legislation and abortion access are like challenged and difficult. Yeah. And there's a kind of gray area or loophole where people can use international sending, right, to get medicine abortions into states where it's not currently present. Could you explain that a little bit more for me? Totally. So right now, you know, there have always been sort of like online pharmacies overseas where folks could access medication, not just medication abortion, but other medications. And it is a legal gray area because the FDA sort of prohibits that, but it's rarely enforced. But one of the really interesting things that's emerged is that aid access has sort of spearheaded this idea called advanced provision, which allows folks to obtain medication abortion before they are pregnant. And so you've seen it done with like emergency contraceptive. You've kind of seen it done with like an EpiPen for somebody who has allergies. The idea that you can get the medication before you actually need it. And then if you ever need it, you already have it available in your medicine cabinet. 
it's super interesting. Definitely a lot to watch in this space over over the next 12 months. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another space that is changing rapidly is the idea of human-centered healthcare. So as an Australian, healthcare and the way it's offered is very different in the US to, to where I grew up. And I have my limited knowledge of the US healthcare system is it's really expensive and it's very much tied to your job. You pay huge amounts in co-pays. It seems like you actually never get any money back because co-pays or minimums that you have to pay before you start to receive money back is really high. So, and that's coming from a huge position of privilege. So a shift that we're seeing, which is very positive, is the idea of human-centered care. Abby, you're reporting out this trend. Can you explain this concept a little bit and give some insight into why you think that there is such momentum around this idea right now? Yeah, for sure. So human-centered care is a phrase that came up a lot when I was reporting out this trend, and it's one that I really like. It feels really evocative to me, human-centered care, and it also, to what you were saying, Kate, feels a little provocative, right? Like it seems to imply that healthcare in this country has not centered humans, and I think for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned, Kate, that's true. So Human-centered care is kind of a, when people are using the phrase human-centered care, what they're usually talking about is this model of healthcare called value-based care. That's more of the term of art for what this is. And what value-based care is, is it's a model where healthcare providers and hospitals are paid based on positive health outcomes for patients rather than services. So it's an idea that arose in direct contrast to what people have called volume-based care or fee-for-service care. And that's the kind of healthcare that many of us in the U.S., I think most of us in the U.S. are used to. And that's kind of the type of healthcare that you were just explaining, Kate. So it's the situation where you go to see your primary care physician or you go to see a specialist. And when you're done, you get this long itemized list of here is all of the tests that we did and the price point for each one. And, you know, these hospitals get paid out from the insurance companies per test that they run. So with value-based care, instead of itemizing each service that you get, healthcare providers are incentivized to achieve positive outcomes from their patients. So things like having a high vaccination rate in a hospital or fewer hospitalizations will kind of trigger payments to the healthcare provider. And I'm simplifying things a little bit because it's really easy to get really nerdy about this. And I spoke to a lot of experts who did get very in the weeds 
with me. But basically the idea here is that value-based care incentivizes preventative care, which is better for patients because it's prioritizing long-term health. It's basically the idea that it's cheaper for everyone involved, the patient, the insurance company, the hospital, to catch a disease at the very beginning or prevent a disease from taking hold at the beginning rather than treating it after the fact. So it's a really, I think it's a really interesting idea and something that I've been really excited to see is gaining steam in this space. And I spoke to a number of startups and and companies in this space that have this human-centered volume-based care model at the heart of what they do. This idea has been percolating for decades now, but I think has really gained steam during the pandemic. And then now, hopefully, as we're emerging on the other side, in large part because the pandemic really revealed these gaps in our healthcare system. We saw how the healthcare system, as it was set up, was not serving the American population the way it needed to, and in particular, wasn't serving certain populations of people, mostly lower income communities, communities of color, where, you know, the social determinants of health make it so that things like COVID-19 affects them in much greater numbers than other populations. So I think that's something that happened. So so Americans were really becoming aware of the failings of our healthcare system while also really realizing how much money they're spending on it, right? So so because of that, people really started looking for other models. Something that I was struck by when I was reading through your trend is that so many of those startups you mentioned are really centering groups that traditionally have been the most left behind by the fairly broken American medical system. Can you talk to me a little bit more about some of the groups that these startups are aiming to help and support? Yeah, absolutely. As I was digging into them and kind of figuring out which healthcare providers I feel like fit into this value-based bucket while reporting my trend, I found that many of them are targeting specific groups of people. So a lot of them are specifically for women's health which I think is really interesting. So something like Maven Clinic was founded primarily for women and families at the heart of it. Tia Health is another that kind of bundles healthcare services for women under one bucket. They have primary care, mental health care, and OBGYN kind of all within the same practice. A number of these startups are also focusing on people who are Medicare or Medicaid eligible exclusively. Medicare is for seniors in this country and Medicaid is for low-income people in this country. And for a number of them, City Block being one of them, Heal being another one, you need to be either eligible for Medicaid or Medicare in order to receive services from them. So in this way, they're kind of specifically going after populations that have been underserved by the healthcare system. And one of the reasons they're effective at filling these gaps goes back to what Patia was talking about in terms of telehealth and telehealth services. So one of the big barriers for people accessing healthcare in this country is geography. It's one that came up a lot in my 
reporting. So whether you live in a rural area or you live far from your doctor or you don't have a car and you have to use public transportation or you can't find childcare in order to go see a doctor, you know, all of these make it really difficult to access the healthcare you need in telehealth services are able to reduce that barrier for a lot of people. So you can correspond with your doctor directly without having to leave your home. And then kind of the final piece of the puzzle is a lot of these startups will have built home visits into their model as well. So you're able to first connect with your doctor in a video call, and then they're able to come see you in your home in order to treat you in person without you needing to travel to see your doctor. It's so positive and it feels like preventative care has been something that's been floating around for a while, but not at an accessible price point. So love to see these new startups. Now, on a completely different note, something that I think is really cool and a very very interesting space is the way that psychedelics are being positioned as a possible next big thing in the treatment of mental health. I am someone who takes SSRIs for generalized anxiety, and I love to know that there are other options on the horizon. I am a big fan of Lexapro and can't imagine a life without it, but also I know that 30 to 40% of people do not see a benefit from using SSRIs. So thinking that those people might have another avenue, I think is really cool and important. Sam, you have done a ton of reporting on this trend. How do you see it playing out over the course of next year? Yeah, so it's a really exciting time in terms of psychedelics and mental health and the applications of that. There's been a lot of talk about this space, and it's not that the talk is completely new, but it's it's almost being taken more seriously, I think, and you will definitely see that in 2022. As far as kind of the implications or what's going to happen, that's a big question mark. There's a lot of studies going on as far as what psychedelics can do for neural pathways, for different types of trauma, intergenerational trauma, racial trauma, and just generalized kind of mental health struggles such as anxiety and depression. So it's really a lot of different studies tackling a lot of different subjects. And the legalization is kind of also a big question mark. Will these substances be legalized in time for people to, you know, use them properly or get access to them? But the science is really taking hold. We're seeing a lot of the implications of these studies coming out now, and it seems to be very positive as far as treatment of mental health and also people talking about them. So there's a lot more generalized talk, not only by people who are aware of these substances and that they exist, but also learning about more and more people are through pop culture references, through TV shows, that kind of thing. So yeah, very exciting time in terms of psychedelics and mental health. The three big drugs that people are putting a ton of time and energy into researching right now seem to be psilocybin, ketamine, and also ecstasy. 
right now it's ketamine that is the most kind of widely available or is being used in clinical trials most widely. Is that correct? That's correct. Most clinics are using ketamine as kind of a treatment, but also as part of a holistic treatment. So not just focusing on the use of psychedelics, but also integrating things like talk therapy or other types of therapy. But there are a lot more studies going on, particularly when it comes to psilocybin or mushrooms and also different psychedelics whether they're lab made or naturally. It's such an interesting space to watch, seeing how slowly legalization has moved for the use of marijuana in a medical sense, but also just cannabis as a drug that people consume in all different senses, that that has moved very slowly. So I imagine that widespread legalization is still a ways off for some of these treatments. Yeah, that's right. If you live in a state, there is legislation happening in your state right now when it comes to psychedelics. Uh, A handful of cities have effectively decriminalized the use of psychedelics, whether that's in, you know, whatever usage that may be. It's the lowest kind of crime on their roster. So that's not really going to be enforced. And that's seen as kind of a positive movement towards the widespread acceptance of psychedelics. But definitely there's a lot of kind of legislation question marks and I'm sure slow moving political moments to be seen. Absolutely. A space to watch for sure. So to finish us off, another really, really, really positive trend that we are seeing is destigmatization of menopause. Like so many health moments that impact people with uteruses, it feels like menopause has largely been left behind, not thought about by the medical community. There's no real specialization. There is no certainty that your OBGYN has spent time studying the specific symptoms that happen to peri and menopausal women. But a lot of that is changing and really Gen Z and elder millennials are leading the charge here and they're sick of being ignored. Abby, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the changes that we're seeing in this space? For sure. So yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head for generations as people have aged into perimenopause and menopause. What we've seen is that people don't know what to expect. There hasn't been talk about it. They don't understand what's going through their bodies. They're not getting the support they need from their doctors in going through these changes. And then also there's been so much taboo around menopause that they don't feel comfortable asking for it or seeking out this information. So I think while we were reporting this trend, what we really found is that Gen X were the first ones to kind of say, WTF, like, why don't I know anything about this? And they, they not to generalize an entire generation, but it seems like a lot of women in this space of that age basically decided this ends with me and this ends with this generation. So they have developed companies looking to serve menopausal people across the entire spectrum from beauty products geared towards people going through menopause 
to sexual health products geared towards people going through menopause, telehealth platforms, community platforms, educational platforms. And they're really creating these programs online in a way that didn't exist before, which, as you mentioned, Kate, millennials are ready to jump right on as the oldest millennials now are just broaching 40, heading towards perimenopause age. And millennials are so used to finding all the information they need on their phones or on their digital platforms. And now there are menopause resources for them in those spaces as well. I think that as someone who is a somewhat elder millennial moving towards, I guess, in the bracket of being an elder millennial, I am incredibly grateful for Gen X because I think at every stage of reproductive and hormonal cycles, they have kind of said, this isn't good enough. You know, they have really been the people who have fought for destigmatization of abortion and better awareness of miscarriage, better awareness around infertility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of great work going on in this space. Are there any brands, Abby, that really are responsible for leading the charge here? Yeah, to your point, this is a huge space. The menopause industry is valued at $600 billion. So, so much money is going into this space right now. And a lot of these companies are getting a lot of attention too because really prominent celebrity figures are backing them. So one that I think people will be talking about a lot was founded by Stacey London, who, if you're a millennial, I'm sure you remember from What Not to Wear, my favorite after-school program. And she founded a company called State Of, which largely creates skincare and beauty products for people experiencing menopause. She has a cooling mist. She has a cream for joint pain, that sort of thing. Katie Couric's company is backing a company called Kindra, which is a menopause-focused supplements line and a lotion brand. And they also have a community network for people experiencing menopause to connect with one another and then another one that I think has gotten a lot of attention is called Electra Health. And this company kind of spans the gamut in terms of what they offer. So they offer menopause care and education and community building. And it's received funding from Alexis Ohanian, who is Serena Williams' husband and the Reddit founder. Well, this has been so interesting. I feel really inspired by all the innovation that is going on in the healthcare industry because many of the verticals that we cover have seen incredible innovation over the last 12 months, but it does feel like the healthcare industry is the one that really needs to change and has such a huge impact on people's quality of life. So love to see it, hope to see more. Can't wait to see all of these different areas unfold. On today's show, you heard from Well and Good's very own Patia Braithwaite, Samantha Leal and Abby Stone. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove and me, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and share this episode with all of your friends.
Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolf. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.